Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. Earl Breon here. I just want to take a uh, second to, once again, thank every single one of you for the support you have thrown behind the Burden of Command podcast. Uh, the reviews that you've posted have been excellent. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I love hearing the good news. You know, but I also want to hear uh, critical feedback. You know, if there's something that you think the show can be doing better, please feel free to uh, to send that information along as well. Don't get me wrong. I love the five-star reviews, and I hope they keep coming in. Uh, but I value your input to help keep this show uh, running as, as, as great as it is. Uh, and please keep sharing the show out. Uh, you, we're constantly seeing our traffic increase, and I really appreciate each and every one of you uh, for that. So again, just thank you for the listeners. I'm blessed to have such loyal uh, listeners taking action and helping the show grow. Thank you very much. With that and with much gratitude, I'm going to get out of your way and let you get into this interview with a very impressive lady, Kate Lands. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest is Kate Lands. Uh, Kate, and, and I've tried to synthesize this bio down uh, but I just, I couldn't. So this is going to be kind of a long introduction, but I think when you see all the things that this lady's accomplished, you'll understand why I want to give her full due diligence on her introduction. So bear with me here, folks. Kate is founder and CEO of MindBridge, a UK-based global leadership company specializing in the power of modern neuroscience and releasing latent brain potential. Lance has over 30 years of business experience with nearly 20 years experience in leadership coaching. She was the first female and the youngest international general manager at, and I may be pronouncing this wrong, she'll correct me here in a minute if, I'm not, uh, if I am, at Diageo, the world's leading spirits producer, where she launched an outstanding track record of success as a senior executive. It was in this role of general manager that Lands developed an interest in psychology of the working environment. Building upon a degree in modern languages, a postgraduate degree in international commerce, a Bachelor of Science in Psychology, and a Master of Business Administration, Lands established an international practice in corporate coaching. Today, her clients include Alliance, Morgan Stanley, Lloyds Bank, Ernst & Young, Deutsche Bank, Disney, Diageo, GlaxoSmithKline, John Lewis & Partners, Waitrose & Partners, 
and Accenture, among others. In partnership with select clients, Lance has embarked on doctoral research in applied neuroscience, brain-gender differences in business, and what it takes to enable a brain-friendly work culture. Lance coaches via tailor-made executive programs at the INSEAD Global Leadership Center, where she has worked with international business leaders in Singapore and Abu Dhabi, and in joint programs with Wharton and a lot of stuff here that I'm going to have trouble pronouncing with my Tennessee <laughs> That's tongue. That's a tricky one. <laughs> uh, Singhao University in Beijing. She is a founding member of an international panel of 50 coaches for the Worldwide Association of Business Coaches, an accredited member of the Association of Professional Executive Coaches and Supervisors, and an accredited coaching supervisor with Coaching Supervision Academy. She is ICF recognized and one of only a handful of experts to offer an applied neuroscience approach. Lanz has published numerous articles and book chapters on coaching supervision and team coaching and is the lead author of All the Brains in the Business, The Engendered Brain in the 21st Century Organization. Kate, that is quite an impressive <laughs> bio, so I really hope you don't mind me trying to sneak all of that in there, but I just couldn't <laughs> skip anything. Well, that's very nice of you. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, that, that's probably the longest introduction I've, I've ever done. But you know, like I said, I was looking at it and like, this is all impressive. There's nothing I can skim. So uh, how many of those words did I mispronounce? Oh, you did very, very well, actually. Um, so Diageo, you nailed it. Um, INSEAD is the business school in, in Paris Okay. Uh, that I, I'm uh, on the coaching faculty there and then Tsinghua University in, in Beijing. So good job. Well done. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so uh, let me go ahead and get you started where I start all my guests and we'll, we'll, dive into, uh, we'll dive into the book. When you hear the phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I, I love that question and I've enjoyed thinking about it. And th the initial thing for me that comes up is the feeling of responsibility that one has when, when, when one is leading because it can be lonely at the top and one, and one has to take tough calls and do that in a really responsible, thoughtful way. Uh, and then I think the, the follow-on from that for me was thinking about how does one share the burden of command and that leads me into some of the thinking that I have around the research that I'm, I'm doing and the topic of the book which is the different ways that, that um, men's and women's brains think about and take power um, and, and take on the burden of command because there, there are there are complementary differences that emerge there. So an interesting topic to think about. I enjoyed it. So thanks for the question. Oh, no, thank you. I, I enjoy that that answer. And, uh, you know, you kind of hit on it right there off the bat. And, and, you know, again, for the listeners that didn't pick up on it, the name of the book, uh, and you uh, uh, wrote this with a co-author, Paul Brown, uh, but the name of the book is All the Brains in the Business, The Engendered Brain in the 21st Century Organization. And right off the bat, you uh, make a distinction between brain sex and biological sex. So what uh, what does that mean? Yeah, absolutely. 
the sex of your brain is not necessarily the same as the sex of your body. And that's quite a complicated thing to get your head around when you first start thinking about it. But by, by nature, there are neurobiological differences between the female and male brain. There are about 100 of those differences. And I think from a, a business point of view, about 30 of them are important to understand and, and know about so that you can access the best of all the brains. And those neurobiological differences combine with people's experience an individual's experience growing up so the sex of our, our brains which you can test by the way and that's really quite a cool thing to do um, and that's that's uh, that's all, all the test is there in the book for people who are interested so the nature and nurture combine and your brain sex score will re reflect your own individual experiences. And so you can um, have um, a man who might have a brain sex score that scores more on the female side of the spectrum or vice versa. And that's a really cool thing to find out for, for oneself and, and your colleagues. Yeah, no, and it was interesting reading through that because, you know, there, there's a lot of research and, and a lot of people just kind of throw out, you know, kind of uh, like as a matter of fact that, you know, women are typically, you know, more empathetic and, and, and that sort of thing and men are usually more competitive. Uh, but you go uh, through very, very in-depth in this first chapter to kind of prove that it's not just, it's not just that. Uh, I mean, yes, the brains function different, but they're actually put together differently, right? Correct. Yeah. So, so there are three big dimensions upon which male-female brains differ. One is ac actual brain structure. The second is the neural connectivity in the brain, and the third are levels of of um, hormones. So that you know the the neurochemicals, and those are different on average between men and women. And that doesn't mean that all men's brains are like this and all women's brains are like that, not at all. It's far more subtle and sophisticated than that. That said, it's true to, you know, those are, those are basic neurobiological differences. Okay. Now, how does that differ? Uh, you know, a lot of people are, are probably familiar with, you know, the, the idea of the reptilian brain and the prefrontal cortex. How do those three areas that, that most people are probably familiar with differ from what you're saying here. Yeah, so in the, if, we, um, if we look at the neural connectivity, the, there was some fascinating research that came out of the University of Pennsylvania, actually, and uh, very kindly they gave me permission to reproduce the imagery in the, in the book, um, which was generous of them. Uh, the male brain patterns from front to back inside each hemisphere. And so that gives rise to the, the action going from input into the brain, perception, to quite coordinated action. The female brain patterns far more strongly between hemispheres. And that gives rise to from perception to, to a more emergent, iterative way of, of taking action. So um, my colleague, the lovely, Professor Paul Brown, who, with whom I co-wrote the book, um, he would say that the male brain is more focused on either or in terms of action, and the female brain is more focused on both and. So it gives you a kind of different way of paying attention, a different kind of take on the world. And 
that that shows up in all sorts of different ways at, at work. So very often I come across with clients, uh, women who are, that are being told they need to get to the point a bit a bit more quickly in the way they articulate things in meetings, and that's not uncommon and that is partly a function of this different kind of neural connectivity so that's one of the ways that these differences show up yeah that part in particular really uh, really uh, stuck with me because uh, you know all the different types of assessments uh, like like the disk profile mm-hmm. that's one thing it always points out to me is is you know it, it talks about the communication piece and and uh, uh, you know Earl hates uh, small talk, chit chat, just get mm-hmm. straight to the point. Uh, the worst thing you can do is do a lot of side talk. And, and, and I'm like, yes. And then when I was reading this in the book, uh, you know, that, that I'm like, okay, that explains that. So, uh, yeah. uh now you, you go on to talk about, uh, kind of the, the brain development, uh, in utero, uh, mm-hmm. the first two years and then, uh, in, in puberty, Mm-hmm. Why are those three stages uh, kind of important? Yeah, the, those three stages are, are when the biggest changes occur to the brain. So all brains in utero before seven weeks old are the blueprint is female. So all um, embryos start out with a, a female blueprint to the brain. If the, the baby is due to become a, a male um, at seven weeks old, in utero, there will be a testosterone surge, and that starts to remap the, the 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 baby's developing brain and turn it into a brain that will ultimately become a male brain. So that's a really important developmental stage. Uh, once the baby's born, the first two years of life are really important because that's when the attachment relationships occur with the primary caregivers and those have a huge impact on how we're going to end up being as as people in the world and as as leaders so that first couple of years has has a big influence on the brain's development and then finally the the a big change occurs at puberty so the the blueprint's been laid down in utero for that brain to be a a, a, a boy brain or a girl brain and when the teenage hormones kick in as we as our brains and bodies start shifting towards adulthood um the the brain completely rewires uh, and um all of the either the, the male or the female characteristics really start to 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 kick in and become apparent so th- those are the three big call out developmental stages for brain development okay so now the listeners are probably like okay i'm convinced there's differences between brains i i, I get it why is this important for leaders to understand? Yeah, for, this is why I wrote the book, really. I, d- I initially didn't set out to be an, an, an author and write a book, but I was fascinated with my clients in the question, what does it take to create the conditions at work where brains can really function well? Um, I, I got really looking deep into the research after the first financial oh, the financial crisis of 2008. Obviously, we're in another crisis right now. Um, and as I got really looking at what does what, what are the work practices, what supports optimal brain function, it became very obvious that you, you cannot ignore gender if you're really serious about creating a work culture that supports the best of the brain. You have to know about brain sex differences. And and that that's how I that's how I got into the work because that the, there are differences and a lot of work cultures 
have been set up in such a way that what they focus on, what they measure, what they reward is more suited to a certain type of male brain. And so I, I was discovering an awful lot of brains in women and men that were just being massively under leveraged. So you've got all these smart people there. It's a bit like driving a car with the handbrake on. It's like, why would you do that? You know, <laughs> Right. Right. So where, where and how can a leader get started kind of changing some of that, uh, some of that culture to, as you put it, better leverage those brains? Yeah. Yeah. I think first of all, it's important for, for if, if someone's really serious about this, it, it's like find out more. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. It's I, w I wanted to share the information as quickly as possible with as, as many people as, as possible and just share the, the key research data in a, in a very digestible way because, you know, one doesn't have time to sit down and read a lot of scientific papers in, in the hullabaloo of, of running a business. Um, so it's find out and, and then be really curious about accessing the best of, of all the brains. So, so I've developed some very simple work practices, ways of communicating. So there's a rich model of communication that works in the way that the brain works, which is bottom up. So as you were saying, Earl, that we've got the emotional brain and then the prefrontal cortex, which is the rational part of the brain. The way the brain works is the emotional part comes on stream really quickly inside 85 milliseconds. The rational part starts to make sense of our experiences three times more slowly at 250 milliseconds. So we are emotional way before we're rational. That's evolution. That's just the way things have developed over millions of years. So you have to respect that. And so simple tools and models in terms of ways of communicating, ways of running meetings, paying attention to um, how you recruit um, and what you focus on and what you reward. And those day-to-day, -day, um, the nitty-gritty of what makes up a day in the office or a, you know, a day at work will, will make a huge difference to how much of the brain power you're accessing from your people. Mm. Now, uh, I will say this, um, when, when I read the book, and, and I like what you said there about you wanted to kind of get something that was nice and easy to, to read because, uh, you know, people are less likely to, to read big, in-depth scientific uh, books and, and papers. I, I, I love that and I agree with it because, you know, I've, I have read uh, Dr. Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow mm -hmm. on several occasions, and each time I take a little bit from it, uh, but but it is a little bit more the 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 in depth there. What I loved about this, this is a nice quick read. It's it's mm. roughly 150 pages, including the the pre uh, preface and the whole nine yards. Um, but I I read it and I just kept ingesting more and more, and I got to the end and I'm like, how did I get all of that out of just 150 pages? So. In my mind, you succeeded big time with, with your mission. So thank you for that. Good. Well, thank you very much. That's what we set out to do. So that's a, that's a great pleasure to hear that we've, we've done it. Thank yeah. you. And um, so why should all this stuff, why should all this stuff matter for leaders? Like what happens when they create that environment uh, where, as you call in chapter three, where, where these minds can survive, thrive, and flow. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, well, the big prize is is productivity in terms of the business. So better ideas, more creativity, faster, more agile execution because the brains are in flow. They're in thrive and not survive. So good for business. And because of the brain state that people are in when, when they're thinking well, it's also good for people's health and well-being, which of course right now is like really important. And as we move forward through through these, the, you know, the, the crisis, the pandemic, um, and everything else that we're dealing with um, glo globally. So the more you can create the thrive response in your, in your brain neurochemistry, the more productive your thinking and health and well-being will be. And so it's kind of everybody wins, you know, the individual brain feels seen, welcome, valued, and therefore gets into gear in a, in a really positive way. And that then that means the person feels good. And that means they bring themselves more wholeheartedly to work and productivity goes up. So the pro productivity uptick from really paying attention to this stuff is huge. It's somewhat, you know, can be up to 50%. So how, how does that spill over into uh, employees' personal lives? Yeah, well, a, a lot of the, when I'm running workshops with, with clients, a lot of the questions I get are about home life and husbands and wives and kids and, you know, they're teenagers. And I mean, when I wrote the book and, I, and I've been doing the research, it was like, I want everybody to know this. I mean, it's helped me as a mom enormously. I've got two sons and they are very different. So I've got one son who has a very male brain and the other one whose brain sex score is the same as mine. Hmm. Um, and so it's just given me an insight into them and their ways of thinking that I didn't, I didn't have before. Um, and so it, it's, it's just, it's all good to know. Yeah. No, I, I like that. And, and when I was reading this, you know, what I liked is, uh, again, one of the things my partner and I tried to, uh, try to get leaders to understand is, is what happens at work doesn't just stay at work. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it spills over. If somebody is stressed, if somebody mm. is, is on their last nerve, by the time they walk out the door, they're going to mm. go home. They're going to, they're going to get in more likely to get into it with their spouses, more likely to get into it with their children, which leads to more stress and anxiety, which means the next day they come in, they're already stressed out. Absolutely. And yeah. And yeah. So, so I, I like this idea and, and it, of understanding the, the, the brain sex and, you know, this, this t to me ties in with all the things that, you know, people are probably a little bit more familiar with, with Myers-Briggs and mm. DISC profiles. It's, it's just another way to find understanding of, of your team and how to get the most out of them, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it's um, the interesting thing about the, the applied neuroscience, which is, it, it's really exciting and it's, it is a pivot point. We're now at a point where the science is beginning to explain behavior as opposed to describe it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think as we move forward, I mean, there's a far, a far more about the brain that we don't know than we do know. Um, but the field is very, is very fast developing and it, it explains what's going on in, in a way that I think gives us um, additional means of, of really understanding each other and leveraging what's different about, about each of us at work. And as you say, at home, you know, we're, 
we're mammals and that the neurochemistry we carry around in us determines how we feel, determines how we act. So um, it, it, it's, um, it, it takes it a level deeper, I think. So um, going, through, uh, going through chapter four here, one of the things I really liked that, that you spent some time on was tuning in to faces and feelings. Yeah. And, and you know, just kind of uh, on my side, like I run into this quite a bit. Like I, I worked with a, uh, uh, with a leader who his major problem was whenever he would come out on the floor, like he, he would sit in his office and he would hear people kind of laughing and having a good time. Mm. But whenever he would come out on the floor, like everybody stopped yeah. and they got busy yeah. and he would leave. And a few minutes later, the laughter would pick up again and really bug yeah. him. Well, as we're working together, I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm observing his behavior. And every time he would come out in, into visual range, like the look on his face was not, hey, I want to participate. It was, mm. hey, why are you why are you out here messing around? Why aren't you being busy? Mm. And he couldn't get that his body language was sending a message because he wanted to come out and participate is what he would yeah. verbally say. Yeah. But his body language was saying, hey, knock it off and get to work. Mm. So how can how can leaders and, and just team, member, team members in general get better acquainted with their faces and feelings? Yeah, I, 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 that's, um, that's a lovely example, Earl. I like that. Yeah, so when we're relaxed and we're laughing, our, our, our brain will be producing dopamine, which is the reward neurotransmitter. And so with, uh, with somebody like that, I'd get them really tuned into what, what are the things that trigger thrive in them. And in, in, a, in, a, in a coaching session, and I'm sure you had these conversations with, with, with him, it would be getting him to talk about what makes him laugh, what makes him lo you know, loosen up and have fun, and really tune in to how that, that feels for him. And, you know, maybe even film him when he's more relaxed and, and, and laughing like the people he wants to join in with mm -hmm. so that he gets a felt sense because our brains are, we're creatures of habit and, and he would be, I imagine, highly habituated to taking a particular stance physically and um, body language wise as he walks around the office without realizing that actually that's what's switching people into survive and not thrive. Mm -hmm. So I'd get him him physically very tuned into how he what he's like when he's relaxed and he's in thrive and and then start experimenting with that at work. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. And and, and you hit the nail on the head. It was exactly it. Like every single time he came out on the floor, he would stand in the same spot, take the same exact mm -hmm. pose, and it was just like you said, it was habitual. There was yeah. no other way around it. Um. So kind of getting into to chapter five here a little bit. I'm kind of walking everybody through the book. Yeah, and, and lovely. I, I really want people to go pick up this book. I, I, I say that with every book I review on here, but this one is really like, this is really very much worth it. Listeners, seriously, it's a nice quick read. It's a good quick reference. There's a lot of good exercises, a lot of good charts in here, and, and it's easily, easily digestible. Uh, but chapter five is power, politics, and pressure. Mm -hmm. Talk about that for a second. Yeah, absolutely. So, so interestingly, um, the way the male brain and body and female brain and body experience power can be quite different um, neurochemically. So the, brain, the, the male brain 
contains between five and 20 times the amount of testosterone, which is like the, the, you know, the competition, the aggression hormone. And the female brain contains between five and 20 times the amount of oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone. So there are quite different um, amounts of, of, of neurotransmitters in, in that regard. So on average, men are more likely to, to care about the hierarchy and um, being competitive. And the way men tend to take their power in organizations is more based on you know, the competition, the pecking order, the hierarchy. Women tend to take their power more through relationships. Um, and it, so it becomes a different way of, of expressing and achieving power. And under pressure, what happens, so when, it, when a, a male brain becomes very stressed, and I am being a little stereotypical here, of course, this is also a very personal right. manifestation, but um, the testosterone levels go up in a man and oxytocin levels go up in a woman. So men, men under stress and pressure are more likely to compete. Women are more likely to seek to tend and befriend. And I've had a, you know some amazing examples in my client base where in tough negotiations, I've got one client um, in, in big commercial property and he's a real alpha, you know, an alpha positive on the whole. Mm. And his commercial director is a woman. And they know about these differences. And so when they're in a negotiation and things start to get stressful, they notice what their own reactions are so he can become quite sort of dominant and pushy she can want to lean into the relationships and I, you know i don't want this to sound too stereotypical but you know this is the truth this is what happens and so right. she's noticing some of the minute reactions going on in the players on the other side and they will you know compare notes and they trust each other to, to, to know how to partner together um and sometimes she will say, look, let's just, you know, take take some time out. I need to just, you know, check in with the, the finance guy on the other side because something's not right there. And, my, you know, my, my male client will be, no, 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 let's just, you know, push for the closing this deal. And she will insist on not. And, and they've had a number of occasions over the years where leveraging their brain sex difference has really helped them get the, get the best out of a, a negotiation. Hmm. See, and this one was one that, like reading this, it, it answered a lot of, it answered a lot of questions for me because I had, uh, you know, my background being in the Marine Corps. Yeah. Uh, I was in, uh, went to boot camp in Paris Island. That's where all the female Marines are trained. Right. Uh, you know, I, I, so I was around female Marines from the beginning of, of my career. Mm. And when I got in the civilian world, uh, I started hearing all these stereotypes and I thought it was, uh, Hogwash, basically, because mm -hmm. I'd been around all of these strong and like using the terminology in the book, these strong females that had more male mm. brains, and, yeah. and and so you know they they were uh, they were very much a as competitive, if not more so than some mm -hmm. of the guys, mm -hmm. and a lot less into that that uh, collaborative. Uh, relationship building part. They were very male minded females, and so this mm. this really put that in perspective for me. Good. Uh, yeah. No. It was. It was. Uh, I mean, it, you you again talking broad brush. Uh, you pretty much described uh, in this book that that difference. Pretty much every female marine I ran into. Right. Uh, yeah. And I mean that in all of the positive ways possible mm. because. 
there were some very strong female leaders that I learned a lot from in my time in the Corps. Yeah. Um, now, you were talking about that a little bit there, office politics and, and you know, being in the U.S., uh, you know, we always love to talk uh, politics in general, but office politics as far as gossip and all that kind of good stuff. Mm-hmm. I, and that just seems like something that can undermine this whole process quick, fast, and in a hurry, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's um, it's one of the things that happens is whoever is in in dominance in an organization, that if there's a dominant in-group, that in-group will um, color the office politics. And if you're not part of that, that dominant in-group, it can be really tough. And... Actually, this is one of the things I love about bringing the neuroscience to the conversation uh, is that it just starts to take the lid off what is going on, what is going on neurologically when we're in-grouping and out-grouping and judging other people. And it explains it from from our basic bioevolution and takes the heat out of a lot of those conversations. So I've been I've done work in financial services um, organizations where there's been some really quite shocking behavior that's that's happened from the dominant in-group and we've all had to have quite a difficult conversation about that and, and try and change the the, the politics in inverted commas. And actually when you look at it through the lens of the neuroscience it enables it enables people to look at their own behavior in a way that is less shaming and difficult for them and to go, oh, okay, right, I can see why I do that and why this other person does something different and I can see how that must land. And it enables some quite sort of hot potato topics to get talked about quite openly without it being too difficult. Okay. I like that. Um, so chapter six, and, and, and I love this chapter title because it's actually almost like I have a, a phrase that kind of annoys people sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there are no problems, only solutions. Yeah. And so the title of this is Problem Solvers and Solution Seekers, the difference between intra-compared with inter-hemispheric connectivity. So knowing that that's something I say a lot, like, what does that say about me? There's no problems, only solutions. Mm. Well, I say good. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I like that. It's, uh, it's, it's one of my, my mantras as well, because it, it also teaches the brain, the prefrontal cortex loves to find solutions. Mm. And um, a, a lot of what I'm talking about with Paul in the book is how do you present challenges and issues to different types of brain in a way that makes them excited about creating this the solution and um you know the the more the male brain working inside each hemisphere front to back might tend to take quite a a a, a narrow task focused approach to generating um an outcome and the female brain might take a more iterative emergent um, sometimes longer route to getting to a, an outcome. And both of our brains, you know, the brains have evolved over millions of years to to complement and work really effectively together. And so it's leveraging that. So one of the things we talk about in the book is powerful discrimination. So it's like pick, f- 
focus on the differences and the differences are actually your highest point of leverage in, in, in an organization. Mm-hmm. Well, and that ties in. So, yeah, what I like about that is, is uh, you know, that, that's one of the big things that we try to push is, is the power of cognitive diversity. Absolutely. Putting together smart yeah. teams. Yeah, yeah. Bringing those differences in. And, and so I like that. How, uh, how do you go about getting people to understand? Okay, so let me rephrase this question here a little bit. So one of the things that we struggle with is when we go into an organization, the way most organizations solve a problem is they pull people into a room, they gather around the table, they start talking about it. Mm. And typically what happens is whoever in the room has the most perceived power, people tend to gravitate towards their answer. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so one of the models that I developed and I've been testing in the research is is specifically for that purpose so that you can get the best of all the brains. So it, and it's called the four C's just to keep it really simple. So the, we have to work at the, the way the brain works bottom up. So the first thing is to connect because we're, we're, we're mammals. We know when we're, we're safe and people and we're welcome basically. So mm-hmm. um, in that circumstance, it's really genuinely connect with everybody who's in the room. You know, this is, this is a, a, a joint endeavor. It's not, it's not power play on behalf of the most dominant characters there. The, the second C is compassion. Now, we can't help judging people. That happens before we're consciously aware of it. So because we know that that's a neurobiological fact, it's like recognize that you have a judgment and then step over that judgment, really create a a, a, a compassionate, warm, welcoming space in your in your head and your heart for all the people that you're about to work with. And because we're mammals, we can feel that. We know when that's happening. Um, and those two actions done consciously will will settle down the emotional brain so that people will feel safe to be in, in the room. The, um, the third C is curiosity. Really be curious about what every single brain in that room thinks. And so ask everybody. And, and the final C is control, which is give people control over their airtime. So when we have thoughts, it's a bit like a, a surfing a wave. And it's allow people total control of their airtime so that they can surf their wave right to the end, end of it until they're you know, landed on the beach. And make that one of the protocols of the way that you run the meeting so that no single voice can dominate any of the other voices in the room. And you will be surprised what you find out. And I, this, the, the model was the, the genesis of the model was this lo- lovely young gentleman, Asian gentleman I was working with, really smart guy, Cambridge educated. And in the culture that he was in, he said, you know what, Kate? He said, people don't really, I'm so countercultural. I don't kind of fit, my face doesn't fit around here. So people don't ask what, they don't want to know what I think. He said, I will speak up if I think I have to. They, they kind of don't want to know. And because I'd got to know him during the course of this particular piece of research I was doing, I just thought, wow, of all the brains that I've met so far in this organization, I would really want to know what his brain thinks because it's such a fine mind. And if he's spending most of his day in the, in the organization with, and people aren't curious about what he thinks, what a waste. 
And so that's that's he was really the reason I, I generated that particular model and started to test it. Um, and it it works very well. And I've had clients using it on you know virtual calls. Um, now we're obviously working in a virtual world now, but those four C's, if you really embrace them, they'll they'll make a big difference to the access you get to to what's going on in people's brains. Yeah, no, I I I, I like that, and and. Uh, thank you for you know kind of sharing that story because yeah I mean it, it's it's mind-boggling how much an organization invests in uh, recruitment and hiring yeah. and retention to keep these brains on board just to not take advantage of what they've invested in. Absolutely, Earl. That completely, and and that is the essence. It's the you know the biggest investment most businesses have is, is are the brains. So why would you have a poor return on investment on the, on that particular asset if you want to look at it like that? And it's it's crazy. <laughs> it, it really is. Like I, I wish there was a way to quantify how much money was actually missed out on by missing those opportunities. I'm yeah, sure it's staggering. Yeah. Well, it honestly, I mean, what I was finding was that because I was looking at the survive and thrive responses in certain key populations. Mm-hmm. And some of the talent populations I was looking at. So these are the people that have, they've spent. Companies spent a lot of time hiring, training, um, and absolutely wants to keep. In one particular circumstance, thirty percent of that population was spending a lot of the time, the day in survive neurochemically and not thrive. And that is like driving with the handbrake on. So you know you've got some of the finest brains in your business just not 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 powering up. Um, and that's that. You know, nobody wins. Well, no, and and I think that's kind of one of the the primary drivers. You, you hear a lot of these statistics talking about, you know, how millennials and and subsequent generations are are changing jobs at a more rapid pace. Yeah. You know, I I think that is probably a key element. They're still searching for that place where they can get out of survive mode. And get into thrive mode, right? Absolutely, yeah, t- t- totally. Uh, yeah, totally agree with that. And I think, you know, the, the the younger generation coming through, they their career patterns are very different, and they they will move around more than previous generations. And at the, being in a place that causes thrive for them is is a huge draw. And I also think, I mean, one of the conversations I have a lot with my clients is, you know, feel like home to those young people because it may be that they, you know, you invest in them and they go off and they do other other things that may be work related or not. But if you feel, if your organisation really feels like home because their their brains feel so welcome there, they'll come back. And so it's a different kind of loyalty that is being generated in, in the younger generations. Well, and I like that that uh, kind of infinite game approach there because this is not this is not something where as as much as I want people to to get your book and read it, this is not something where people are going to sit down, read the book, even hire you personally to come in. And tomorrow, things are going to magically be better. This takes some time and effort to build this culture. Yeah, absolutely. It takes a real, you know, commitment from leaders in the organization to have it become a way of of, of being. Um, and that you know, the, the the dividends are there for sure. And some some of those will be quicker wins, but the the um, 
the longer term is 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 the big play. Yeah. No, it's it's and I think that's kind of a key factor with just about any type of cultural shift, any type of change. Uh, my, my partner and I, we were talking about this just the other day with all the things going on here in the U.S. with yeah. uh, law enforcement. And, and, you know, we do a lot of diversity and inclusion training. And, you know, there's been several articles written over the past year talking about how diversity and inclusion training is a waste of money. There's no return on investment for it. But it's it's when organizations that I, that is true, when organizations just treat the training as a checkbox, Absolutely. when they make it part of their culture that's when diversity and inclusion training, understanding the minds in your organization, that's where the value really is. You got to really buy into it and want yeah. to make those changes, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because when, when there's real buy-in, that generates trust. And trust, oxytocin is the neurotransmitter that, that reflects you know real, real trust and there's been some um fascinating research that that has longitudinal research and uh, um looking at meta studies as well that shows that work cultures in the top quartile on trust are up to 50 percent more productive than their peer group hmm. and and who doesn't want to be 50 percent more productive right absolutely <laughs> uh, so you you kind of touched on this very briefly earlier but this uh, rich, tell us about rich communication model and, and walk us through that. Yeah. Um, yes, rich. I mean, we have to work. The brain developed, evolved like bottom up. So the reptilian brain was, is, the, is the, um, at the base of the brain, top of the spine. Then the emotional brain evolved when we became, when the first mammals came on stream and, the, and there was a relationship between the live young and the rep the emotional brain is about 65 million years old the prefrontal cortex in evolutionary terms is very young it's about 220,000 years old and that's the part that does the rational thinking so the we are emotional way before we're rational so we have to when we're communicating always hold that in mind so the idea of the rich communication model is that you begin by soothing the limbic system first. So the R of rich is for recognition. You know, what is there to recognize or appreciate and acknowledge in what the other personal people are saying? Um, and then the I is for intention. So it's to signal to people or the person what, your, what this conversation is about. Both of those things will settle down the the emotional system, the emotional brain and the other person, because they'll know that you're coming with good intent. They'll feel welcome and acknowledged because you've, you, you, you've, you've appreciated something that they're, they're saying or doing. Then you can start to engage the cortex. So the C is for what's the challenge plus a solution. So to your point, Earl, you know, don't, don't come in there with just a challenge. Come in with the beginnings of a solution that you can start to partner up with people thinking about. And the cortex loves to create solutions. So if you get start to get curious about what the challenges are and how you might solve for them, people's brains will start to get excited about that. And then hope, paint a picture. What what does this look like when it's all working well? So that their reward systems start to start to get 
um, excited about this and the dopamine starts to flow. And it's a, it, it, with all the models in the book, what I've tried to do is keep them incredibly simple so that you can use them at speed in the busy day-to-day -day world. And they, and they will either help you in, in a kind of water cooler conversation that's caught you by surprise right up to how do you run a big conversation with, with your, your team or your division. Um, so they can they can stretch into into bigger spaces but it's it, it's um r for recognition i for intention c for challenge and h for hope and just making that a habit will have a dramatic impact on far smoother means of communication and really give people access to whatever kind of brain they're engaging with hmm. Well, and I like the fact that you kept some of these examples, uh, you know, as you put it, kind of uh, simple and straightforward because, uh, you know, in my experiences, when something is, is overcomplicated, a lot of leaders think that that's the way it has to be. And, and this book and, and the, the way, you know, the four C's, the way the rich communication model, the way the other things you talk about in the book uh, are implemented inside of your organization using the collective your uh it's going to look completely different from organization A to organization B to mm. organization C, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, look, so we're a little bit over 45 minutes here, Kate. I really appreciate the time. And, man, it is, is flown by. This has been a great <laughs> conversation. Uh, thank you for being with us. I really appreciate that. That's my absolute pleasure. No, I've enjoyed it very much. I, can, I can't believe that it's gone that quickly either. <laughs> uh, well, one of the things, uh, the last, one of the last questions I like to ask, and sometimes this leads to more conversation, is, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to cover that you would like to, to have my listeners know? Um, I think we've kind of covered this implicitly, but I'd just like to really call it out, which is since I've been thinking about leadership very much from the perspective of, of the applied neuroscience, I, I really, one of my definitions now is that as a leader, one's, a big part of one's role is to cause the emotional response in those around you on purpose, you know, by design, quite deliberately, as opposed to, you know, by accident, inadvertently. So to really think about what does it take to create a, th a thrive response in, 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 the, in the people in your team and the people close to you? And to think about doing that on, by design and not by accident. Um, and, and cause thrive one conversation at a time. Mm. I like that. I like that. Be intentional about it. I mm. uh, really like that. So, uh, so Kate, uh, how can... My listeners, um, how can they find out more about you, what you're doing, reach out to you? Where's a good place for them to start? Yeah, good. Thank you. So so in terms of the book, that's available on Amazon, all the brains in the business, and you should find it pretty easily on, on Amazon. Um, my website and contact details are uh, www.mindbridge.co.uk. So you can reach me through through the website or on LinkedIn. Very happy to connect and to engage in conversation on LinkedIn. And, and my surname is, it's Kate Lanz, that's L-A-N-Z. And I, I, you know, like I said, I didn't set out to 
become a best-selling author um, per se, but I just thought, gosh, I want to share this insight and these ideas with as many people as possible. So I'm really interested in, in what people make of it, any questions that they've got, and, and causing a big conversation in the world, because we really do, now more than ever, actually, with all the circumstances we find ourselves in we absolutely need the best of all the brains so um, it's a pleasure to have the opportunity to talk to everybody yeah no absolutely and, and I will have links to to all those in the show notes so people can uh, can find your website people can find the book very easy um, is there an audio book version available or no there isn't actually uh, at the moment but um i've been asked about that a few times so i'm actually thinking of recording it um so uh, that 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 you know it's watch this space because there, there will be one outstanding all right well no that's good so again i'll have the links to uh, everything available and, and if you get that done let me know and i'll throw a link uh, i'll update the show notes with a link to the audiobook in there uh, but again i just thank you very much for your time uh, I really appreciate the conversation. Uh, I love the work you're doing. Keep it up. Uh, is there anything else that is in the works? Um, well, there's going to be some more kind of how-tos because I'm doing a lot of interviews um, with, with various clients and other people. So, I, so I'll want to share the output from that. Okay. Well, we may have to revisit this conversation once that comes to fruition. Uh, so, so again, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, listeners, if you have any uh, comments, questions, or concerns uh, for Kate, uh, we'll have the information in the show notes. If you have any for me, burden.command at gmail.com. Uh, be sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show. Uh, make sure you share it out so you can get good information like this out to, to your network. I really appreciate you listening and spending uh, pretty much the last hour or so uh, with, with Kate and I. And with that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us, from renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.